We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Monday evening? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Rights Podcast powered by Twisted Tea. It is our Sunday SEC football conversation with Weldon Rodenberg on Monday, as you'll hear in a second. That's my fault. It was down at a wedding uh, down in Florida this weekend. So scheduling didn't work out, but I think this will work out perfect. There wasn't a whole lot to talk about from the football game. So we talked about Ole Miss's season as a whole, the changing landscape of college football, what 10 wins actually means for Ole Miss in this year. And, uh, you know, a little bit of Egg Bowl preview as well as a look around the Southeastern Conference. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy it. Before we get to that, though, I want to take one quick break to remind you. If this podcast is brought to you by Seaspire, it's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves with the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning, local service based out of the Southeast with industry-low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new 2 gigabit and 8 gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself a hassle by not waiting for your internet to connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online today to cspire.com slash home and use the promo code RIPPY at checkout for one month of free service. That's right. Just for listening to this show, sign up for Seaspire Home Internet today and use RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. You get the first month free. How awesome is that? Can't be waiting for the internet to drop. I've got Seaspire Home Internet. It is the best. You should do it too. Check them out. Seaspire, customer inspired. This podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. The world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox at the top of the sports handicapping industry. There is literally no better time of the year to sign up for Skybox than right now. College basketball, their bread and butter that they rake in every year is heating up. You've got the end of the college football season, bowl games coming up. Sign up for a picks package today. And get yourself a little holiday extra money to, you know, spend on Christmas presents or doing whatever the hell it is you like to do. They are the professionals. It is all based on math. Don't be the guy that loses every single week because your own leans 15 minutes before kickoff. Go online see, uh, to skyboxsportspicks.com. Select a picks package within your price range. You can try it with a day, a week, a month. I'd recommend going with the year-long all-access pass. It'll pay for itself and then some. 
Sign up, use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That gets you 20% off at checkout. And boom, you get your picks in a color-coded spreadsheet, and you are more equipped to profit than you were before signing up for Skybox. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. This podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. If you're a Rippy Right subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me, plus discounted meets right now. If you're a Rippy Right subscriber, just go in and show Greg proof of subscription. You get three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. If it's a $40 valuation, you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just show him proof of subscription. He'll get you all set up. Then go find your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of meats. Go to LB's this holiday season. It will make everything in your house better. People will be like, where the hell did you get this awesome stuff? Like LB's University Avenue in Oxford. It is a crown jewel of the South, a crown jewel of Oxford. Check them out today. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here's Weldon. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's football correspondent, former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, Weldon Rodenberg, coming at you a day later normally than our Sunday SEC football conversation. That was on me. I was at a wedding kind of this weekend on 30A. I think I texted you about 6.30 last night. I was like, look, this drive's been long. I just don't really got it. Let's just turn the page to tomorrow. So appreciate being flexible on the time. How are we doing? How's your weekend? I'm doing good. Uh, my weekend was pretty chill. Yours clearly was not the same. <laughs> um, I do want it noted that I was able to do the podcast through injury last week, and you were not able to do it through a mild hangover or maybe a massive hangover. Uh, I just want that noted on the record uh, that you'd had enough. You are not as mentally strong as I am. That's absolutely the case. I'm a year older, a, men- a year mentally weaker. I actually thought about that yesterday. I like got back. I like didn't feel very good. I like made the seven hour drive back. I was like, I can spend the next 45 minutes trying to piece together a game. I didn't really watch a ton of yeah. <laughs> some talking points to go with it. Or I can call it a night, get in bed by 7 p.m. like I did, and we can try this again tomorrow. So I just I just don't have the stamina as you young bucks have, you know, 300 days old, uh, younger than me or whatever the hell it is. I'm sure there's a fine line. No, uh, but yeah, that's right. I just don't have the power to power through things anymore. But uh, it is what it is. It is now Egg Bowl week. We can dive in, I guess, a little bit glancing during the game you and I were texting during some of it I was at uh actually at Bud Nally's for most of the football game you know yeah. <laughs> I'd say watching and passing it wasn't like we all the group I was with went there with this like purpose of like we have to be in front of a tv clearly 11 a.m ULM senior day kind of started watching it watched a little bit of it again last night you made a decent point you know we talk about how like modern college football even if you're playing like a lesser opponent like sec wise i brought up the vandy 2021 example where it's like you know they got another game five days later you sleepwalk through it but you were like no like seven to three at halftime is a little bit more than that and i had to look up and remind myself oh shit it is almost halftime it is seven to nothing it was a slog it felt like a team in a little bit of a vulnerable spot after getting beat up last week they kind of turned it on in the second half after the second half and it not getting totally weird is your opinion any different in that game do you feel like you can take a ton away from it um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a little bit different once you kind of get a little bit outside of, you know, just watching the game and hearing Kiffin talk about, you know, post game and in his press conference today that they were basically like preparing for Mississippi State during the week, which is fine, by the way, it's totally okay on a short week to do that. Uh, it's not that big of a deal. No, it, it's really not. Now, I mean, I don't know if I've seen a team give less of a, you know, to F. Less, I mean, we'll say it less of a fuck 
about a football game that Ole Miss did in that first half against ELM. And that's not even a criticism. That's just like an observation. I think they would probably tell you the same exact thing. Uh, But at the end of the day, they got through it. Um, There was a team a few hours to uh, their east that did not get through it. So it can happen. And you can sleep through these games and, like, be in real trouble. Fortunately for them, that ULM is one of the worst football teams I've ever watched. Um, That was terrible. Uh, They were playing someone with a pulse. Maybe you're – you're squeaking it out a little bit more, but I guess that's more to the point of Kiffin, like, you know, completely saying that they were not worried about this game at all. And they looked like it. I mean, there were some things you can take away from it. The offensive line when they don't have their two tackles is a real problem. Um, they would get more into this, but they don't play anybody. Um, and I don't mean like opponent wise, like Ole Miss, they, they don't play players. They trust nobody except for the starters out there currently. At least that's on the offensive side of the ball. Um, So that's something that is more of a big picture thing, but it was something that you really noticed during that game. It was like they just do not play anybody, but the maybe 15 people we've seen play significant snaps. That was the only real takeaway I had from that game. Yeah, you're right. And it's, it's interesting when you go back to the offensive line piece of it, it's, it's, they're playing without two tackles. It sounds like they hope to get Jaden Williams back for this Egg Bowl game, but, but clearly Micah Pettis doesn't sound like he's going to play any again this year, um, and Williams is not ready for this game. And that's kind of the takeaway I had of just kind of conversing with people at the function. I was at me as an old missile. I'm one of our close buddies. Uh, so everyone was kind of like talking about it or whatever after. And I was like, yeah, I guess that would be my only real takeaway is – Look, the schedule, and we we alluded to this last week, and it's not any sort of like groundbreaking thing, but it's kind of a weird way for the season to end. You have that big game that was hyped up all week as the free shot against Georgia, and clearly it doesn't go their way. They get blown out, and then it's just kind of like, well, now you're about to play two relatively soulless opponents. One of them is probably one of the worst FBS teams. I'm, I'm putting you all in clearly probably in the bottom five, but then it's like, in a lot of years, if State even like halfway seemingly has a pulse, it's like, all right, how do you get back up for that other one and make it through that one? But like this year even had a different feel with how bad State had been. And so it, it I guess my main takeaway from that and talking to people was like, hey, with the injuries they have on the offensive line in particular, if they had to play like a real formidable opponent in these last two weeks after Georgia – this team might be in real trouble and they don't. And there's, that's not a knock against them. It's not really a criticism. It's just really an observation of like, this team was really in a delicate spot post Georgia with two weeks left in the season, but the schedule weirdly worked out to where it's like, they could probably sleepwalk these through these next two games, get to 10 and two. And like, you already hit the finish line of like what you thought your goal would be four weeks ago. And it doesn't really matter how it looked. I, I don't even know if I have a, like an overarching point in that. It's just a very weird dynamic to end the football season. It's the product of what college football is this year and what it will not be next year is that the excuse for the four-team playoff and not expanding it has always been that it'll ruin the regular season, but that's just never, ever, ever been true. That's been bullshit said by bowl executives. We've been on the same page of this for multiple years now, too. Yeah, the the four-team playoff, and I I still haven't gotten like my full thoughts together on this, and I don't write, so I'll never write anything about it, but it is, in my opinion, the worst thing that ever happened in college football. Every issue you have now, uh, whether that's attendance, whether that is the portal and the NIL and firing these coaches and buyouts has all been caused 
indirectly and directly because we expanded, quote unquote, this playoff to four when that was really never the case. They told you at year one when TCU and Baylor both didn't make it that this was an invitational, not a tournament. And it changed people's expectations. It slightly changed the way the season went about. Um, it left out a conference every single year. It was just a, a catastrophe of decision-making, which is just what college football is without any sort of governing body that people trust or care about. Because uh, the NCAA doesn't care about this. That's not, they just put it on. You know, they, they don't have any real impact to it. And you kind of. It's not even know. their thing, is it? Like, they don't really run it. You know what I mean? No. Like, the basketball tournament. It's just kind of like something they accept existed, I guess. And their member right. institutions do it. Yeah, they just, I guess, approved it, but I don't even know if they did that. Um, so what it gives you is it gives you two games like this against UL and Mississippi State where the stakes are whether you're going to make it to a Cotton Bowl or a Citrus Bowl or an Outback Bowl. And at the end of the day, it's it's meaningless whether you do that or not. Um, so it's no, it's not Ole Miss's fault. It's not the schedule's fault. It, it's the sports fault that we now only care about one thing and that one thing is attainable to so far like 10 teams. I mean, there, there has not been uh, a multitude of people involved in this fraud of a playoff that they have, and that will change next year. Thank God. Um, now, of course, we don't know what the automatic qualifiers are going to be. We don't know who's going to be in what conference. We have no idea if a group of five teams going to be involved. We know nothing. And it's this thing is going to be a year away. I mean, they have the schedule set up for it, but we don't know who or how you're going to be able to play in it. But that would be the only conversation we'd be having right now. It'd be like, are they going to make this playoff? You know, are they going to get a home game? Uh, who would they play if they win? It would be so much more entertaining and so much more fun. And that's what anybody and everybody who talks college football and, you know, has one of these podcasts about college football is talking about is, how shitty it is that this year of all years is the last of this four team and not a 12 teamer because we would have a really exciting finish on our hands. And now it kind of just feels like a, you know, an array of quasi quarterfinal games that no one really gives a shit about because they don't actually mean anything. Yeah, you're exactly right in that sense. And you mentioned like everybody who has one of these, it's like, but is it really though? Because I mean, I've, I've, I've taken my victory lap on, I don't even know if you could call it a victory lap because it's just a difference of opinions, but like I can pretty much tell if someone's like a take artist or not, if they're arguing against the expanded playoff, like, I mean, I don't know the guy very well at all, like personally, but like Verit Salee being like, ah, it should only be two teams. Like the BCS had it right. It's like, what, what are you talking about, dude? Like he's really lost, want- he's lost so much ground in what he like used to be that, that he has to do that shit now. Like, yes, it's just, just like, exactly. You just get caught up in the take mill and then you come full circle. And as this needed expansion comes, I guess you, your, your last take on that is like, actually the BCS got it right. It's like, all right, dude, like beat it. Yeah, sure. Let's get out of here. But like on that note, and I guess we're just, just go ahead and get into this now that was something i noticed yesterday is i was kind of sitting there once i finally did get home you know nursing myself on the couch looking at some different stuff there uh josh pate who runs the late kick 247 show seems like pretty articulate guy i don't listen to his show very often but like i've seen some of his video clips and like he's usually not chasing after like storylines that are like made up and shit about like just stuff that's not real like the first takey like he actually has pretty good opinions on stuff and he had a monologue on his Sunday show about the conversation about Florida State they lose Jordan Travis 
And they're seemingly in some pocket of the college football social media ecosystem, or I don't know if it's anyone worth their salt, but being like, should uh, Florida State be in the college football playoff now that they don't have Jordan Travis? And I think in a way that underscores just the overall stupidity of this setup, like to bring a hometown example, and I get that like college football is not the NFL. Can you imagine like circle like 2016, the Saints are like, I don't know, 14 and two and they get the one seed in the NFC, but week 16, Drew Brees like tears an ACL and he doesn't have it. And they're like, well, can you imagine everybody? Like, well, actually, we don't think we need the Saints having a seat at the table in the playoffs. It would just be a completely ludicrous thing. But I start doing the mistake of reading the Twitter replies to the video he posted. And it's certain people being like, it's the four best teams. Florida State's not one of the four best teams that Jordan Travis. It's like, dude, what the hell are we doing here? So now we're not rewarding a team for going undefeated in all likelihood because they lose their quarterback. The whole thing is just nonsense, and it doesn't discredit for the sport by limiting seats at the table, particularly when there's no qualification process. A four-team invitational where you're debating ridiculous things like that just, to me, kind of proves how silly this whole thing has been from the start. I'm so happy you brought this up. We did not even talk about it beforehand. But it is the thing that legitimately I was like shaking. I was so triggered <laughs> about yeah. the conversations it around. It triggered Florida me too. State. Look, they haven't had a fantastic schedule. The ACC is very much down. But if they go undefeated and win the ACC, there should be no doubt in my mind that they should be in the college football playoff. So you're telling me that it's a factor of success based on if you get there with a backup quarterback? What the stupidest thing is, let's say Jordan Travis gets hurt against LSU and Rotomaker comes in and he leads them to an undefeated season. Would that would now do we let him in because he's played more games and they were one more and we got a bigger sample size of how good they are? Like, yes, you would. That's the whole point of the, the silliness of the argument because we so saw it with our own two eyes. Apparently, now it's now more legitimate to your point. No, it's it's the dumbest thing ever. They the committee has been bailed out year after year after year on having to make actual decisions because of just the way football has gone. Just it's the college football, people lose. And it's made it relatively easy on them. But I don't want anyone to forget what happened year one. Well, they told you they had all of these criteria and strength to schedule and blah, 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 blah. And they just picked Ohio State because that's what they do every year. They just make the rankings. They rig them towards the end and they just pick what they want in these games. That's full stop exactly what they do. They are not needed. It's the only sport <laughs> – I mean, with the exception of the NCAA tournament, but that one, there's so many teams that like the scrutiny is so much less because no one cares about 64 through 68. This is the only four. And I pray to God that they have to make a decision that's so egregious at the end of this thing that we eliminate the stupid fucking committee and figure out something else, whether it's going back to the freaking BCS rankings. I don't care. I would rather that. I would rather have none of these guys decide anything because guess what you know who's still on the committee that would be uh the president of michigan or the athletic director of michigan is still in those rooms oh he's recusing himself i'm sure he is still in those rooms making a decision while their head coach has been suspended for six games throughout this season some of for, for cheating and some for ncaa violations but he still has a say and who gets this shit done? It, it's the worst. And the Florida State thing makes me so angry because that should never be a qualifier for making it in. Whether you're the quote unquote four best teams, 
that doesn't matter. They went undefeated. They're going to win their conference. They're going to be 12 and 0. And we're going to let in a, you know, a one loss Texas or a one loss Oregon or somebody who's not a conference champion or not undefeated because their quarterback broke their ankle in the second to last game of the season. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I know, I mean, even people like Ohio State in that year, you know, they ended up winning the national championship, which for some reason was a justification of them getting in. They did it with a third string quarterback. They did it with Cardale Jones. So it's just so stupid. This whole thing is so stupid. It's one of the few things that makes me hate this sport as much as I love it is that this way of determining a champion these past 10 years of this has been a total joke and a total farce. And really it's been kind of a joke and a farce for the existence of college football, but we kind of just glean over that because everything else was so much fun and the bowls used to matter and expectations used to be different, but they changed with the 14 playoff. The expectations of so many different programs changed. For some, it was we get into the 14 playoff or we're, you know, unsuccessful. And some, it's still win a national championship or we're unsuccessful. But then it changed as like a trickle-down effect where actually getting an access bowl was successful or unsuccessful. But then we realized actually those don't matter at all because we've changed everything we've done with this 14th. That's the only thing that matters. The Rose Bowl doesn't matter anymore. The Peach Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, it doesn't matter. And I know a lot of Ole Miss fans have been talking about like, oh man, the Citrus Bowl will be such a lame finish to a really good 10 and two season. And I don't even disagree with that because it's not an access bowl. It's not the playoff. It's a Florida bowl. That's like, whatever. But the what is the real difference that, between that and access bowl? There's none. There's no difference except for you get a better TV slot and maybe a more national game. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And that's because we put in this 14 playoff. If you don't get in it, everything else, the players don't care. The coaches don't care. The administration does not care. And that's the whoever decided on this is fault for doing this. It's very weird. Like this sport that's been such a big money sport for such a long time that kind of derived itself out of actually being a very regional sport for a very long time before that is like never figured out how to do a real playoff system. And, you know, we get back to the four team invitational. And like, as we talk about like conversations and stuff and as dumb as they are in the FSU thing is in fairness to this committee, as much as I don't like their existence and the way this has all been set up, we've, as we sit here on a Monday evening, have been giving no indication that like they'll penalize Florida state at all for it. But just the fact that something like that happens and that's like the, conversation amongst college football constituents for the lack of a better phrase it just again it, it just highlights the ridiculousness of this whole thing and you mentioned like the access bowl portion of it i remember distinctly in 2021 it was like the first year you and i did this version of the podcast and it was kind of my first real year like going back for games and not having to work them anymore and i remember going to the sugar bowl and i sat with you know five six of my friends and that night in the Superdome, like, this is a big college football game. A ton of fans are here. It's an awesome environment. Like, clearly both teams and both sides care. But in the grand scheme of things, which I'm sure we talked about some of the time, it's like, does this actually matter at all? Like, by definition, it's kind of an exhibition. And so that part of it, which I hope gets eliminated with this 12-teamer, and I don't know how it's going to look and how it's going to get set up. But it's just, it's a very weird dynamic. Because, like, if Ole Miss makes the Cotton Bowl or the Peach Bowl or Sugar Bowl or whatever the hell ends up being the case versus like the citrus bowl there will be a different conversation about like how this year played out but in reality there really shouldn't be because the two things whether you go play the 
bonus game, if you really don't want to call it an exhibition in Florida versus one of these access bowls that is not a playoff game, what is the difference when you get down to it? There's just not. And like, that's just a shame because, you know, you talk about the playoff and all these other things and rewarding such few teams. Like it doesn't feel like a reward for Ole Miss for having an incredible season. They had a 10 and two season and the name of the bowl game that they're going to get into is somehow going to make some sort of difference on how the year's viewed. If that makes sense. Absolutely makes sense, but it used to matter. Yes. Like growing up, it used to matter because look, the, the getting into the national championship game in the BCS era was probably unattainable for Ole Miss. And for all we know, it probably is unattainable forever, but, but maybe not. Who knows? At least you get into the, you, you get into the opportunity with the 12 team, right? So if you're not in it during the BCS era and you go to the Sugar Bowl or the Peach Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl or the Rose Bowl, that was a massive deal. Because there was only one championship game. Everyone else was like, okay, that's fine. You know, our expectations, we have met them, we've exceeded them, and we get rewarded by an event that a lot of people care about that has a lot of history and is really cool. Now that's not the case at all. It's just not even close. I would say, I mean, people used to attend those games. No one even gives a shit anymore. I mean, if Ole Miss, let's say they get a good break and they get put in the Peach Bowl, how many people do you think Ole Miss is sending to the Peach Bowl? And let's say they play either Penn State or SMU in the Peach Bowl. So, well, I was about to say that I think the the two changes the conversation, right? Whether you get the group of five or a name brand program like Penn State would actually dramatically change my answer, which is probably why you posed that. Right. I mean, that's, yeah, that's fair. I guess that's fair. You know what I mean? Um, like, it's like, okay, we can go play Penn State, an opponent you don't get very often. Kind of the, like the Baylor thing. It's like, I do think they bring a lot of people, but to your point, if they get in and they get in against like the group of five school, like are people as excited about that? I, the whole thing's no. hard to decipher. They probably bring care. a bunch of people to Atlanta, but point being, no one's talking about what a huge game it is for Kiffin and Ole Miss in the program by any stretch. Okay. I guess better, better case scenario would be if they got into like the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah. I think Ole Miss is bringing 30,000 people to Phoenix, Arizona to watch them play SMU. My answer is no. I can, I can already tell you the answer will be no. Because it just doesn't mean anything anymore. Whereas when you go back to, what was that, like 2005 or 2006, Oklahoma's playing Boise State. If you go watch the videos of that game, Oklahoma fans, there's 60,000. At Boise State, there's 40,000. It is a completely full stadium. Even when we went to the Sugar Bowl in 21, that Ole Miss-Baylor game, there were a lot of empty seats in that in that stadium. And that's Ole Miss in New Orleans. It almost brought a ton of people because it's New Orleans, it's easy, blah, 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 blah. That, that's just a, no excuse for that. Baylor, they didn't bring that many people because no one cares anymore. I remember going to Alabama and Utah in the Sugar Bowl. I think that was 2009 or 2010. There was like 40,000 Utah fans there. And there were so many. They were so excited to be there. If it was the exact same teams, the exact same scenario, it would not be full because those are TV events now. And guess what? They're going to be gone next year. So now they'll have, I mean, the significance of going to those games will only be, you know, related to actually making the playoff. So now the other bowl games, the Citrus Bowl, the Outback Bowl, some of these bowls that like used to have a, like a little bit of juice to them will be completely dead, completely irrelevant because it's changed. But that's that's okay. But what's happened with the four team and the way that expectations have changed, the way these games have changed, the way that people, fans, 
teams, administrations, coaches care about these games is so, 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 so different. And maybe I'm wrong and just a little skewed, but I do not think so. It's in the kind of leading it back to where the, the whole, this whole conversation started is like, it's the weird end to the year for Ole Miss where, and again, part of it is the fact that, you know, their in-state rival that they're going to have to play a road game against every other year, including this year is way, way, way down. But it's just yeah. kind of a reflection of like, all right, you had the Georgia game. It's like, now what? Now, now the now the only thing that can happen is some sort of catastrophic turd lobbed into what is already uh, like what would otherwise be an incredible season. And that's, again, that's the weird part about it. Whereas, again, Ole Miss had a tremendous season, is going to have a tremendous season. That is all still the case. And none of this should be um, downgraded or downsized. But at least in a 12-team playoff next year, you and I are talking about something substantive instead of just yeah, they probably survived Mississippi State, beat them pretty handedly, and then you just figure out what kind of bowl game they go into. At least we'd have something to project forward to that actually kind of matters and keeps what every program is searching for alive, which is the hope to get to that level and get to the table. Yeah, but like, so think about this. Let's say they beat Mississippi State, which they absolutely should. So they go 10-2, and and they end up in the Citrus Bowl playing Iowa. That game does not matter at all. And that's the that's the problem with college football and the way that it's been set up now is it might matter to some fans who get really excited about 11 wins. That'd be the yeah. first time in program history. That is an accomplishment that should not be you know looked down upon. Absolutely not. But how do you gauge if it's a successful season? Because next year, in my opinion, successful seasons will be determined by whether you make the playoff or not. For Ole Miss, for the way they are as a program, that will be the bar. You have to, I mean, then at some seasons, it might be even winning a playoff game. And then you kind of never know what you get from there. But for so many different teams this year, whether you win nine games, 10 games, 11 games with a bowl game, it just doesn't matter. And I'm not even trying to be negative. That's just how the sport is set up right now. That, so that's why we're, you know, kind of full circle the weirdness of these last two games and like the, the conversation around a bowl game. It's just like, I can't, can't get that excited about it because at the end of the day, next year is so different than this year. Uh, it just doesn't really matter that much, but you want to win them, of course. Yeah, of course. And if you haven't run off the road in just depression after listening to the first 10 minutes of this podcast, it's not really rooted in the fact that like doom and gloom, nothing matters. It, the, the way I kind of look at it is no, no, no. it's a disservice to, Jackson Dart and the offensive line and whoever else has played a significant role on this football team where they go through an SEC West schedule at 10 and two. And their reward is just like, here's this other game that we're going to send you to. Like, you know what I mean? That's the part yeah. that is most frustrating. That's the frustrating part. It's the reality that in this sport, unlike the NFL, like think about like Kirk Cousins last year. It's like, wow, they came out of nowhere. They won a bunch of close games. They get rewarded with a home playoff game. That is a successful season. They're in the playoffs now. Of course, they lose that game to the Giants. But you knew, like, you know where to think. You know where to stand. And now, like, that's the only thing I've been thinking about this season was how difficult the schedule was going into it, how well they have navigated it. You know, look, they lost to Alabama and Georgia on the road. That happens. And now we've just had time to sit here and simmer about it. These next two games, it's like, felt like it's all kind of pointless. And I'm not even trying to be like super negative and super depressed because next year it won't feel pointless. And that's the whole point of this conversation. We're just kind of, I'm just kind of venting and ranting about how stupid college football can be 
because I feel like the, some of the conversations, like the main focus has been like, oh, what bowl game are we going to? Oh, this is going to stink if it's this one or that one. Like, it doesn't matter. Next year matters. So just cheer for the team, hope they win these games. And that's kind of all you can do at this point. The Vikings example with the NFL, which I get is not the same sport, but is a good one because on the other side of that, you have a Giants team that was not supposed to be anything last year. No. They have a very good season. They win a bunch of one-score games. And both of those teams reward for the Vikings. It's a home playoff game for the Giants. It's a wild card spot. And the winner of that game had a four-quarter shot to go to the semifinals to, you know, win the coveted trophy in their sport. And whether you want to argue how realistic of a chance, like the 12th seed in college football or the 11th seed has to actually make it all the way there, at least it's two relevant programs playing each other in a bunch of games that matter. Like, can you imagine, and I don't think, again, I don't know how this is going to work, but like say Ole Miss went 10 and two, it's a different year in college football and you like get a playoff game in the Vought and then you win that game and you have eight quarters away from playing a national playing in a national title game like that's what the reward is supposed to be about you just eliminated the incentive right exactly and honestly looking at this year if old miss had made the playoff if they're not playing oregon or georgia they could beat every other team yep on the right night in the right scenario i mean ohio state michigan uh washington florida state not that scared of them. Alabama, they look pretty damn good right now, but you've played them before, so you'd have an edge of knowing what's going on with that team. Um, that's, like, where this is all kind of coming from, is, like, what could have been for this team this season. The jump that you could make from a program standpoint of winning a playoff game versus winning a Citrus Bowl is so vastly different. Because that's why I'm coming back to, like, the whether you win 10 games or 11 games, It'll only matter to Ole Miss fans, and it may matter to, like, a recruiter, too. Like, oh, wow, like, they're building something. You win a playoff game, it's completely different. So that's really the point I'm trying to make. We'll get back to Walden in just one second, but before we do, I want to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to Elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Weldon. 
Yeah, and like getting back to the more positive side of it as we wrap as we wrap up like that portion of it and kind of look at the outlook of Ole Miss is now nine and two. They played their last home game. When you talk about this new era that college football is about to go into with the twelve team playoff, the fact that Ole Miss is a consistent and healthy and thriving program that has gone undefeated at home two of the last three seasons and is poised to you know win ten games in a twelve game regular season for the second time in three years. That part of it is is obviously breeds optimism, but is worth celebrating in its own right because as we've entered this like pre twelve team playoff or eight team whatever we thought it was going to be two years ago pre what we knew was expansion was imminent, it felt like the beyond like your traditional blue bloods everyone else was kind of jockeying for position to be really well positioned to when the table does expand to have a seat at the table and Ole Miss is yes. as good or as better positioned than anyone else and that part of it should be celebrated despite yes. the last year of it being frustrating but what do you just make of the fact that they've gone I mean I haven't had too many Ole Miss I don't think this has ever happened in my lifetime where I've watched three Ole Miss football teams and in two of those years they didn't lose at home and they won 10 games the regular season like that that is rarefied air in its own right it absolutely is. And the craziest part is they really should be 23 for 23. Yeah, they no really kidding. should be Alabama and state last year. Um, and that would be changed the whole conversation dramatically. Of course um, it, it is obviously an incredibly impressive resume of what they've been able to do under Lane Kiffin at home uh, in games where sometimes they've been equal to sometimes they've been better than sometimes they've been less than, and they just consistently get results. And that is not something that you should just pass over, which I'm glad you brought it up. It's really, really, really impressive. Um, and it's something that he has, you know, really worked on. He's worked on trying to get the atmosphere better. I think more people are going to games, one, because they're a good and competent football team. They're fun to watch. They're easy to cheer for. And then in credit to the administration, I mean, I haven't been to many home games recently. The last one I was went to was uh, – 21 LSU but every video you see from these games it looks electric it looks like a shit ton of fun whether the game's at 11 a.m or at 7 p.m it doesn't matter and when you keep coming home and winning that's how you bring fans in I, I know Kiffin has talked about like people showing up and blah 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 and I, it gets a little repetitive but the point stands is because he wants to have those atmospheres and once you get people in they decide to spend their discretionary income to keep coming because you keep winning. It's incredibly important. It's a, it's a program momentum builder to have that first thing, you know, being that we just win a lot of home games. We went, we just win a lot. That's important. And it will continue to be important next year because you look at the home slate, got some bangers at home next year and you will now feel incredibly confident that when you're going into the stadium and Kiffin's coaching and it's at home that you're going to win the game. And that's definitely not nothing. And I can speak to the second part of that, too, for you still living in Texas, you know, the 2021 year I was still in Texas as well. But, you know, coming back now and not having to work these games and working back, going to a, a, a good to a decent to big Ole Miss home game is different than at any time in my life. I mean, I've been going to these things literally since the time I was born. The environment, the atmosphere, the amount of people there, and just the way the overall game feels is so much different in a good way than any other t at any point in my life that I can really remember. And as annoying as some of the stuff in 21 and 22 about giving goading the fans and getting them there, you can really see the method to the madness. Like, you know, for yeah. what Vaught Hemingway Stadium is, 
they the way they put on the production of the game and they get so many people in the stands, it's made it as tough of a place to play as it can possibly be. I don't really know what the hell else you would do in the this era to make it as tough as you know any tougher to play in that stadium that size. And it's a lot more fun to be at the games. And that's the craziest part about it, too, is like you mentioned people choosing to spend their discretionary income at games. Well, what are most people going to? Home games, of course. You got diehards that go on the road. Sure. In a time and place where you're asking – in an era where you're asking college football fans to do more and spend more air ever, what if Ole Miss was – I don't know. It'd been the last three years and gone five and seven, six and six and seven and five. I mean, I don't, I hate to keep pointing down the road and Starkville as the example, but it's harder and harder to get fans to ask them to spend their income, to go to games and give to the collective and give to NIL. And Ole Miss is creating a product and creating a culture to where, Hey, if you show up at Vaught Hemingway stadium and they're playing an opponent that's, you know, remotely within the realm of their skill set, or just in general, they're probably going to win the football game. And at this time in college football, where they let loose on the portal and NIL and all that, I'm not sure there's a more important time where Ole Miss could have been that strong as a program. And it's to Kiffin's everlasting credit, because again, I'll go back to close out the question. They were seven and five, seven and five, and six and six. We'll be talking about any of this shit for the last half hour. No, you wouldn't care at all. You wouldn't be a part of any conversation. You'd be annoyed and, at the environment more so than anything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at examples around the league now that you're about to expand portal, NIL, stability in programs. That is a cash that is so valuable right now. Look at Arkansas, for instance. Um, they where are they decided, going? That's the question right. I always ask. Where are you going? Right. So they they decided they're keeping Sam Pittman. Right, wrong, indifferent, doesn't really matter to me. In my opinion, it is an absolutely massive mistake, especially if they lose to Missouri uh, on Friday. Because the ability to have fans engaged, you now have to have the fans pay for the players. You now have to pay players in order to be successful you have to recruit kids at a different level. They're not having to recruit against Texas and Oklahoma even more than they already did have to because they're coming into your league. They pretty sure they open the season at Oklahoma State next year. If they lose that game, I mean, who's going to the home game against uh, UTS? I mean, I don't even know who that UT Martin for the opening home game. Nobody is because you've already lost them through this season. You're going to lose them in the beginning of next season. And then that's just a lost season. Now you got players who are going to start to transfer your recruiting class that you thought you have. They're done. They're gone. They're going somewhere else. You have to fire a coach midseason when you probably should have fired him midseason this year. You lose so many steps along the road when you're not successful and not winning games and not bring in some sort of momentum to your program in this league now because it you can build – a roster quicker than you ever can, and you can lose one quicker than you ever have. And in the middle, it's not easy to go either way, right? So I, what Ole Miss and Kiffin has been able to do, the momentum they've been able to build going into this officially new era is incredibly important, especially because you're keeping up with the guys who've been doing it forever in Alabama and Georgia and LSU – but you're passing up the guys who are going to have to try to catch you in South Carolina and Mississippi, Mississippi State and Arkansas and freaking Auburn right now. I mean, like you're just in such a better spot going into this new era than you ever kind of thought you would be. 
um, especially even what we thought going into this season. And that's important. Now you got to finish it off. You got to make it worthwhile. And that's not winning a Citrus Bowl against Iowa. That's figuring out what the hell you're going to do with this roster the next two months to get it prepared uh, coming into next year. Because next year, the expectation and whether that's fair or unfair, I think it's incredibly fair, is that you're going to be trying to compete to make the playoff. If you don't make the playoff, your season's not going to be a success. Um, that, that'll be my opinion, because I think that's what Ole Miss holds himself to. They're paying a coach $9 million. Uh, they've assembled a roster that's capable of it, as we've seen this year. Your schedule won't be as daunting next year. It won't be easy by any means, but that'll be the goal. And that'll, that'll be the goal for every program in that kind of 10 to 20 job range going into next year will be like, well, are you making the playoff? Are you not making the playoff? Are you at least competing to make the playoff? Maybe you get left out and that'll suck, but like you're there. If you're not there, you're going to be like Arkansas in this middling kind of, you know, just no, no man's land, basically. Ole Miss is not in no man's land at all. That's well said. And it's talking about, you know, the expanded playoff puts the 12 seats at the table. And like when all this has happened and we've had these two and a half or three years, however you want to frame it, of transition period before this finally arrives, it's two teams to me or two programs have stuck out that have better positioned themselves than where they were before that all of this was on the horizon. And it's Tennessee and Ole Miss. Because, like you mentioned, what is the expectation for Ole Miss? It's to make the playoff or get really damn close, to be in the mix at the end of the year. When you look at programs that have historically been seen on equal, slightly lower, even slightly higher footing historically, Arkansas, that's not a realistic expectation next year. Auburn, that's not a realistic expectation. South Carolina, Florida, Kentucky, all these other programs that consisted of this college, Mississippi State, that consisted of college football's middle class, that's not a really, like if you went on a podcast and was like, they need to make the playoff or this is a failure, that's not really a realistic thing to say. And to me, right. Ole Miss and Tennessee, and I have need to see it maybe one more time with Missouri, but hey, give them credit for what they're about to do this year. Yeah. Those are the two that have stuck out to me that have made the biggest hay in making jumps as far as notoriety and better positioning themselves. Because again, there's a bunch of people paying a shit ton of money to vie for this and Ole Miss and Tennessee and the SEC are the two that have stuck out of like, this is now a lot more realistic. The stakes are so much higher. That That's the main thing what's going to happen with this playoff is the stakes of each game and the seasons will be so much higher. You see in the NFL, a lot of these teams that they don't make the playoffs your coaches are getting fired, your coordinators getting fired, your players are getting cut or they're not getting paid for because they're not going the right direction. And you'll see, you know, not on the same level in college, but in the same, you know, similar air, I guess you could call it with that. And look, like, will the expectation be that Ole Miss make the playoff every single year? No. Uh, but one out of three years, I think will have to be the case. I mean, that, is just what you should expect or should want. Um, now, of course, you say what's realistic for other teams. Well, that's a relative term to many different programs, but I bet you one thing, you think Auburn will be satisfied next year if they're not competing to make the playoff, at least the fans and the administration? No, because you're able to get as much talent as you possibly can using NIL and the portal. You can transform a roster quickly but like I said, with Arkansas, with State, and some of these other programs that are kind of in that no man's land, you can lose so much ground so quickly as well. And the playoff will be kind of the determination for a lot of these players. They're going to be like, 
you know, it used to be, man, I want to go play for a team that has a chance to make the 14 playoff. Well, that's not that many teams. For the 12-team playoff, if you're in that and competing in that, you will be so far ahead of other teams trying in the transfer portal. It will be a completely new recruiting strategy. It's like you want to come here and potentially make the playoffs. It'll be like in the NBA when the buyout market and be like, you know yeah. what, I want to try to compete for a championship. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be going to the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm going to go try to find my way on the Bucks, the Lakers. And that'll be the exact same scenario with group of five or power five players. Like, man, we were not even close to making this playoff. I'm going to go to the, let's call it 15 to 20 teams that actually proven and show that they have a chance. It'll be invaluable uh, kind of, you know, Fugazi, Fugazi momentum that programs can have. Old Miss has it, and there's a lot of other teams. And Tennessee has it to a, a little bit uh, similar scenario. And there's a lot of other teams, and at least in this league, that we talk about that do not have that. Last couple of things as far as Ole Miss is concerned, and we'll spin it forward to the game, but there was a bit of news that came out on Thursday. Kiffin on Reb Talk, which is always funny to me. Like, Reb Talk, I, for what it is, it's cool. Like, you get a bunch of people together, like, the whatever day before the game, and then nobody really says anything. Kiffin every now and again would be like, don't sleep on Reb Talk. I might say something uh, a little wacky here and, and get people talking about what I said on Reb Talk again. And it happened again on Thursday. He mentioned it about Jackson Dart um, coming back for next year. Um, you know, everything I understand about that, even though Dart walked it back a little bit on Saturday and said I hadn't made a decision, Kiffin said I shouldn't have said that. I don't think that necessarily changes the overall sentiment. I don't gather by any stretch that there's any significant change in Dart's desire to come back. Now, does that mean something couldn't change in the next three weeks? Of course not. But what did you make of that news and the way that storyline or however you want to call it was disseminated and played out? I'm not surprised to hear that uh, at all. Uh, I'm a little surprised. I guess <laughs> Jackson was a little surprised as well. I like it. That, that Kiffin brought it up on Thursday. Um, I mean, you're a little bit more, you know, I guess call it sourced on this than I am, but I, I don't feel like this is a shock to anybody. Um, it's been a, it's been a real conversation really more before the season about what this quarterback room was going to look like throughout the year and going into next year having brought in Howard, having brought in Sanders to whether that was to start ideally or to push start. We'll never know the story behind that. Um, but a lot of it was focused on what is Dart going to do this year? And there was kind of like three different possibilities. There was the, he lights it up so much that he goes to the NFL. There was, he comes back like it, we could assume that he will and kind of announce that he will or that it wasn't going to work out, Sanders was going to start, or it wasn't going to work out to the level that we thought, and Dart would just grad transfer, go back out west, and you kind of move on from this era. And I just don't think that Dart was ready, one, for the NFL for sure, and then two, to move on from this situation. I think he found his groove this year. I think he's played really well this year, and I think Kiffin smartly – has done what he needed to do to convince him that, hey, let's do this again. Let's figure this out. It'll be in a third year in this system, and we've got a chance, like we've talked about, to really do something special in this playoff next year. Um, and I'm all for it. I'm totally behind it. I, I think you'll see a potentially him take another step. I, I don't think he's going to come back and be, you know, 18 to 19 Joe Burrow by any means. But you know what you have with him, and that's a quarterback capable of winning – a lot of football games at Ole Miss under Kiffin. 
it's a quarterback who started his college career with a lot of instability and then will now presumably if this ends up being the case enter his third year which is increasingly rare in college football you know with the same program pretty much the same type of system and actually found some stability and that's you know when you talk about in the weeds of like what does eight and four versus ten and two matter when you start actually getting into it on an individual level it's a different conversation we talk about the two games where it seemed like dart shine the most texas a&m and lsu well what if they lose those two games and he doesn't play well and they go eight and four then you're probably talking about that scenario in the middle that you're referring to of like hey this isn't going to get us over the hump. Let's rip the Band-Aid off and play the kid next year. And honestly, looking at their schedule this year and what we thought they would be, I'm not sure I want to go as far as to that was the most likely outcome because there's so many other factors that go into this. But it was the one I was most interested in pondering throughout the year. Hey, what happens if they go eight and four and dart super inconsistent? Like, does he transfer, grad transfer somewhere else? And like this Howard thing just becomes, you know, this is who we're riding with next year. I was always most fascinated in that. And in some ways, you know, going early into the year, I was like, I'm not sure this might not end up being the case, but he plays well in two of their biggest home games of the season. And now it's like, well, how do you run a kid off that just led your team to 10 and two at times there's some fairly adverse circumstances. You can't do it. And I don't mean that as like a knock or really a compliment to Darton either way. I'm just looking at the whole thing objectively. and like, how do you do that? You have a chance to enter the playoff era with a guy that just led you to 10, potentially 11 wins with the bowl game. Like, of course you do that every time. I'm just not sure how likely I thought that was going to be the case. If you'd have asked me in August. I think it would have been the least likely of the scenario. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that anybody in that building would tell you differently because, I mean, whether we know what the hell happened with this Sanders and Howard thing, they weren't that confident in Dart. I mean, I think that we can infer that from the decisions made roster-wise uh, in the spring and the fall. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, hindsight, it, this 10-2 and two thing seems pretty reasonable. That's not what we were kind of expecting going in. And there was no way that you would – push him out after this year. I, I think that would have been crazy. Uh, if, like you said, if you asked in the beginning of the season, Dart being the starter in 24 would not have been very high on my list. Um, but now you're set up in a pretty similar scenario quarterback-wise going into next year that you are this year. You're going to have Dart going into his third year. You're going to have Howard. He can't transfer unless he gets a lot of credits in. <laughs> Uh, in this fall and spring. So he's going to be your backup quarterback. You've got this lottery ticket in Simmons that according to all things, like seems to be pretty comfortable in his situation. He's freaking 17 years old. He shouldn't expect much more. Um, that room's going to be perfectly fine. And then if you're Howard, I mean, I don't know what the staff thinks of him. I don't know how he's performed, you know, in, in fall camp and during practice, he probably hasn't gotten as many reps as he kind of thought he was. But I would just be pointing to Carson Beck and be like, that could be you in 2025. Yes. It could be you in 2024 if Dart, you know, tears an Achilles or something. I mean, shit, there's been so many backup quarterbacks playing. Uh, there, there should be no reason for him to want to leave. And then guess what? You could have two years or Simmons could beat him out. Who knows? But you're just in a much more comfortable place quarterback-wise um, that I think Dart will have the ability to go out and recruit transfer portal kids. Uh, for him, like, look, look what we did this year. This is what we're going to be next year. Um, you've still got a lot of playmakers on this team, really the only three that play wide receiver wise that could all come back technically next year. Uh, ideally, you're going to have Judkins back next year. You could technically have Bentley back, though I, that would seem shocking to me. 
Um, you might not have a lot of changes the offensive side of the ball, except for hopefully the offensive line in certain spots. It's a pretty good recipe going into a pretty big year. And I think this decision is not shocking, not surprising. I think it's the best case scenario for Ole Miss next year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you talk about like all things pointing toward that team next year and there being continuity and a lot of change, the two I would actually kind of focus in on would be Caden Priestcorn and Trey Harris. I'm not going to say the likelihood of either of them two coming back, but just a little bit of a hunch. It wouldn't absolutely earth-shatteringly stun me if both of them were in an old Miss uniform next year. And then you're kind of looking at it like, wow, holy cow. I didn't even realize Priestcorn had eligibility left. He does. He has another year. And again, just uh, hmm. Uh, just a slight hunch. Yeah. There, there is a chance that that is possible. I don't know. I, I don't know. I know Harris has the ability to come back. I've heard some murmurs that that is a possibility. I'm not saying anything firmly or another that I know one way or another, but that is certainly possible. I wouldn't consider it completely crazy. And if that ended up being the case, you're all of a sudden looking at an offense next year, like, oh my God, like what, what is this going to turn into? Oh, and Zakari Franklin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have no clue. <laughs> What word I couldn't well, predict joking. this country that guy will be in next year. I don't know what the hell the case is with that. That's he's a ghost. He's he's our new ghost. Um, but you're right. I mean, look, that's a really solid recipe to have a lot of success. Returning starters is not necessarily like a, a precursor to success, but a a lot of successful returning starters, like a, a valid you know slate of what we've seen from this team that's definitely a massive deal going into next year yeah that is the difference a lot of time you have these teams it's like well they went six and six last year return every start but that doesn't mean those guys are any good like gives a shit they are all terrible (laughs) like i I, I love that it's my favorite thing uh is when they're like oh the returning starters you know things have changed nope they were shit last year they're gonna be shit this year yeah, it's a math game at the end of the day. It's like, well, you have to have 22 of them. And the fact that they weren't all seniors meant that if you're a bad team, that might not actually be a very good thing. Yeah, these all. days, if you're a senior-laden team, that means you're probably a bad team. Yeah. Because that means they haven't transferred out, you haven't wanted to kick them out, and they're just there, and you have to have them. 
<laughs> more on like the less likely case, in some ways, you kind of have this somewhat perfect storm where like Ole Miss could be a fairly senior-laden team next year sure. on the offensive side. But like to your point, that's far less common, which makes yeah. it as exciting. Yeah, no, you're right. That, that's fair if they're successful seniors. So I guess kind of kicking this forward to the Egg Bowl, we'll do a little bit on this. I just, I don't know. This has not been a very intriguing Egg Bowl to me. I think the fact that Mississippi State went ahead and ripped off the Band-Aid with Zach Arnett a week ago, and it's Greg Knox. And, hey, they looked a little bit better in the second half, even though it was a six-point game with, like, seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter with Southern yeah. Miss. You get Will Rogers back, and I guess you can at least, like, sell that in terms of, please God, will 40,000 people show up in my stadium. But, like, Ole Miss, I think it opened around 13, 14 points. They're a two-touchdown favorite going on the road. You know, the people that I know for this, you know, that have lived in the state of Mississippi and that have been Ole Miss people throughout the majority of their lives are like, hey, weird things always happen here. I'm not ruling it out, but I don't view this as one of those. I'm just not sure, unless Ole Miss played a really, really, really terrible football game, how this game ends up weird after about two and a half quarters. And there's no excuse to lose this game. I think that should be said, first of all. Um, Mississippi State is not good. Um, Ole Miss is much better. This should be a pretty simple outlook for this game this weekend or Thursday. I mean, Thursday, sorry. Um, They have a little bit more juice. You always will with an interim coach, you know, he's riding the four wheeler and stuff. They got the starting quarterback back. Um, The guy who was basically quasi bench though, he was hurt. So what do you really have there? Their best player on offense uh, marks he's hurt. There's almost no way he's playing. This will just be a – it has to be business-like. You just have to go in, win, and get out. And in many years, Ole Miss, that's been a real struggle because they gave such a shit about this game that they would, like, be tight. Uh, I don't know if you listened to Kiffin's press conference today, but he does not care about this game So at all. Let's go there and now. Not in a bad way. Not in a bad way. But whatever you're going to say, go, go ahead. So I, I wrote that down as a note after watching Kiffin's last two press conferences. It was interesting to me that – you know, there's a level of Kiffin where if he thinks it's a completely unimportant topic or an unimportant point, you're going to get an answer that reflects that. If he thinks it's something where he has an opportunity to kind of make head waves and headlines, you have that answer. And then you kind of have the one in the middle where he's like, I, I, like, I think this is legitimate. The fact that he talked about the importance of this game in a very like measured sense, like not like, yeah, this is the biggest one. We win the state championship, that whole level. But like, I realized, yeah, I've realized in three, four years, the importance of this game into the people of the state. I just thought that they mentioned that a couple of times was very interesting to me. Uh, to your point, this is not him going to be hyping this game up and the history of it and all that all week. But I, I that made me think and the way I was going to phrase it was, I think he probably knows he screwed up losing this one the way they did last week. It's not just who the opponent was. It's not just how the game played out. It was a little bit of who the opponent was. And I think that might have triggered a little bit of alarm bell of like, hey, let's lean into this slightly. But I don't even think he's leaning into it slightly because it's Mississippi State. Agree. That that is definitely – I mean, that's, in my opinion, a fact. I mean, there were so many reporters today trying to ask him like, oh, like – what do you feel about this nasty rivalry and like, you know, the history and all the blah, 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 and like your experiences in it. And the most important thing to him was like, well, we played an 11 a.m. game instead of a seven o'clock game this year. So I think the turnaround to play that game will be a little bit easier. Like it was all about the turnaround. Yes. Nothing about the team, nothing about the rivalry. And I don't say this is a criticism because look, I have been to Ole Miss, worked for Ole Miss. I have a podcast talking about Ole Miss, this Mississippi State game is not something that means a whole lot to me because I am not from the state of Mississippi. I want to win it because I want Ole Miss to win all their games. 
but it just doesn't, it doesn't hit with me the way it does with a lot of other people. And for Kiffin, I think he's got, I'm not saying he got the same mindset as I do, obviously not, but he's got the same sort of attitude towards this game that I think a lot of out of state Ole Miss people do, which is like, we really need to win this game. We have no excuse to not win this game. We were better than them, but like, I am not going to put any more energy, any more thought into the fact that this is the egg bowl than I would if we were playing anybody else. Like this is more about getting 10 wins, not getting 10 wins and getting the trophy back. Um, I, he mentioned the trophy once, but it was like, he couldn't even muster up like a little bit of enthusiasm about the game today. And that is not a criticism. And it's not even like a, you know, Ole Miss shouldn't care about the Egg Bowl. They should be looking for a bit. No, that's not even the case either. It's just he is just focused on winning a football game. Whereas you listen to like the state side, it's all about beating Ole Miss. It, it is not the same with Kiffin at all. Which has, has historically been the case, whether some people want to admit it or not. I do agree with that. And like maybe that's kind of like the perfect blend because I do think, you know, we talked about like some increased Kiffin self-awareness after the way 2022 ended. I do think there's a part of him was like, hey, I really botched this one last year. And it kind of, yeah. <laughs> kind of pissed well, me I think everyone off. on the team has said it. I mean, Dart and Wade. Dart like, said that game really bothered him from the time he's about. walked off the field. And I think there's just enough of that. Like if you're, I wasn't necessarily worried about this. Nothing, of course, based on last week. But if you're worried about a banged up team sleepwalking through the last two bad opponents, there's enough of a, a high there that you can get to, to treat this game, as you said, business-like, but also like with your full attention that I think it's actually a very good spot for Ole Miss. So like I said, I don't actually anticipate this game being that close, but I could be wrong. I mean, there are scenarios that we could lay out where they have issues. You know, if Jaden Williams doesn't play, I think they're going to struggle to run the ball. Um, defensively, they haven't been their sharpest. I think they're going to have to be sharp, much sharper on Thursday. Uh, but they're pretty healthy there. I think they should be okay. Mississippi State is going in with an interim coach and a lot of guys that do not like Ole Miss. They're going to do everything in their possible ability to muddy up this game, to make it more difficult. They're going to be more aggressive. They're going to probably be on their bullshit, as I would imagine, being it over there. And it, none of it should matter because they're not very good uh, at all. They, they are not very good at all. I mean, they beat one that game by 20 last week, and that was only really thanks to a ridiculously impressive pick six by Jed Johnson. Um, so, no, they, they should be business-like. Now, I mean, State has some advantages. I mean, I think they have a defense that well, – the back end is really bad, but they have a pretty solid front seven uh, with two really good linebackers. Watson and Jed Johnson are really good football players. Uh, offensively with Thomas and Tulu, those are dangerous players. Absolutely. Um, but there just is no excuse to lose to this team. I mean, you can talk about all you want. There, There is no excuse to lose this game on Thursday. I agree. And that's kind of the, I don't know, it doesn't have like the luster in that sense. Or even like in 2021, like Ole Miss was a much better team. But you're like, damn, this could be tricky because State has started playing pretty good football towards the end yeah. of the year. But there's just like – there's no real like indicator of that this year. And again, if Ole Miss is healthy and they're fully, you know, present for that game, I don't really think it should be much of a problem. And so wrapping that up, and kind of like the last 10 and two thought before we get to um a look around the SEC and get out of here. But like and when it actually, you know, knock on wood, I guess comes to fruition on Saturday night, the fact that Ole Miss has gone 10 and two in two of the last three seasons. When you were working there, did you view that as a realistic possibility? Just in hindsight, 2020, like how shocking is that to you that we're talking about that in 2023? 
Uh, I wouldn't say, look, the teams I worked for were not very good. I get that. Um, Unrealistic, I wouldn't say that. Okay. But I think it's kind of the way they've done it has been a little surprising. Um, Just the flip year in, year out, the way they've built this roster. And I'm not even ready to say that it works. Uh, I mean, look, results are all that matter. So, yes, in that case, it has worked. Um, But it's just been unconventional. And unconventional in this, you know, league, in this sport has not always been successful. Sometimes it has. But a lot of times it usually kind of you regress back to the mean and the old school way of doing things is really kind of like the bread or whatever the, you know, it's the easiest way to do it. And they have not done that. They've thought outside of the box. They've made this roster in ways that other teams have tried to do, but not really to the same effectiveness or successfulness that Ole Miss has. And it set them up to be, like we've talked about, in an incredible position going into next year. Um, This is not the easiest job in the world. And I don't think Kevin has necessarily made it look easy. Uh, he, he's been incredibly successful, but that doesn't mean that he hasn't done a shit ton, whether that's from hiring new coaches or recruiting and blah, 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 or just brand management that should be frowned upon. It's really, really impressive. Um, and I, you give him the flowers for it. You know, we, we can talk about you know, whether we have questions about certain things, but at the end of the day, 10 and two and 10 and two, and really should have been another potentially 10 and two is remarkable, um, but it's shown it can be done here. And that's, I think is as important as anything. Proof of concept is, is as good as, as valuable as anything, because again, I'm not, won't get out of the job. The it's job is like the rumor thing again, but like, you know, we talked about it with beard and basketball. It's like, well, if he wins and he's not here that long, it elevates what you people think is possible of your job and like the, the perception of it. I'm not hinting at Kiffin leaving or anything, but again, like the point is, is proof of concept is is worth its weight in gold, particularly as you enter this era where you got more seats at the table. Can I offer you one last thing before we get to the SEC? Uh, look around the SEC. The most important storyline we've been following for the last two years. I don't know if you saw this, but one Jalen Knox took 12 snaps on defense. <laughs> if you look him up on the roster, he now wears number 27 and is listed as a safety. Yes, and he had a personal foul late hit. So I missed that part of the game. I, I hand up. I did not watch that. But had I had, I'd have it. probably texted you and been like, what the hell is going on here? What an absolute wild card way to end a career. I'm sure he's a nice kid. It just became a podcast joke. But the fact that he's now a safety wear number 27, playing 12 snaps, and apparently news to me, getting a personal foul. What an absolute banger of a career because it certainly broke my brain. It went exactly as we thought it would. Um, the funny thing is he actually has been wearing 27 all year, which is why we're like, who is this running back playing wide receiver right now? <laughs> oh, it's the ghost of James. Oh, God. He's out there. So, uh, I mean, good for him for being like, you know what? I can go probably find the field better in a different position. Of course, he doesn't really play safety either. Uh, but, no, good, good for Knox. Uh, maybe he'll go play in the XFL or something. What an absolutely wild ending. A very brief look around what was a terrible dud slate SEC-wise, but there were a couple games that were interesting, and I'll start with the nightcap. I got back from uh, this event this weekend, uh, back to where we were staying and watched uh, pretty much all the second half of this game. Uh, Florida had a chance to have a huge win at Missouri, get them to bowl eligibility, and just royally screwed it up in the last 30 seconds. They had a chance to really would, would you know kind of crap on a really special season for Missouri. 
That's a that's a rough one for old Billy and them, and I think he probably still gets another year. But man, if Florida State blows the doors off them with a backup quarterback, are you monitoring the situation at all? Not yet, okay. but I will say that from the beginning of this season to the end, last two minutes of this Missouri game, this Florida team makes a ton of losing plays. Yes. They're a losing football team that has been head up by a guy who I have a lot of belief in, a lot of faith in. And after watching Missouri, I, I might be out on Sunbelt Sun Billy. He is so close. <laughs> He's got a Missouri. nickname now. You definitely might be sliding in the different direction. <laughs> he is teetering on Mario Cristobal level of game management, uh, which is a lot to say. The, the finale, the ending of that game, I don't care their quarterback went down. I don't care. The way that he handled those last two minutes, having running a stretch zone play to make ETN basically run out of bounds was the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. Gave Missouri an extra timeout, which then gave them extra ability to go. I mean, they were basically settling for a 40 yard field goal um, against Missouri in the last two minutes. Couldn't even manage to do that correctly. Then they lose the best player on the field on a fourth and 18. And then they didn't get lined up the next play. So just for you know insult to injury, gave another 10-yard out route to Burden to set them up for a basically automatic field goal. One of the worst coaching displays we'll see this year from the way Florida handled that in-game scenario against a Missouri team that is good. I'm kind of tired of talking about them like they're like this, you know, like a special needs program that we're so excited they got to 10 wins. Um, they're only doing it because they just haven't been here in a long time. So I get it. Uh, absolutely pathetic. And I, I mean, I was talking to Siski and Clay, this whole, or some other people I used to work with, we're talking about this game. And I was like, that's just a bunch of losing plays all season. Florida is just, they just, they're losers this year. They are losers because they've done everything in their ability to lose football games week in, week out. That is a bad, bad sign for Billy. Oh, and by the way, they've lost like five recruits in the last two weeks. And so, again, not to just completely destroy the psyche of Ole Miss fans in all directions in a single podcast, but you don't have your eye on it at all because I think, you know, we talked about the A&M thing, that quickly Kiffin and all that stuff died down, probably even a lot quicker, even from like a non-source perspective than people thought. I think Florida would probably be a little bit of a different story. Like that's one that if you look up on the Sunday after Thanksgiving and they decide to make a move, it's like, oh boy, hold on to your butts here. Yeah. Do you buy into that potentially being a possibility at all? Because I've kind of had my eye on that for a couple of weeks. I I don't know if they're going to do that. Um, now, like you said, they get boat raced by Florida State, um, which I hope they do because I had the under five and a half wins for Florida. Uh, then maybe you have a different conversation. I don't – I just don't anticipate that. Now, if it does come open, yeah, that's a serious thing. That would be a real serious thing um, for Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin. I, that would be a job that if offered and discussed that I believe that he would take. So, yeah, you you have to have to really kind of buckle down for there. I don't have that feeling about A&M at all, but Florida would definitely change the uh, the economics on that one. I don't have a ton of thoughts on Georgia-Tennessee other than that Georgia is all of a sudden just emerging. Made me like, feel hey, better. Actually, we're still pretty good. Yeah, hell yeah, to make you feel they, – they go on the road and win by 28 points. My only thought on this one, Georgia's rounding into form again, and they're just an absolute juggernaut. We covered that last week. I get that they don't have the quarterback they probably want to. Like, Tennessee-wise, right, it's it's a really kind of big step down. 
um, from what they had last year to what they had this year. But is there any part of you, but I know again, Milton, but any part of you that feels like the whole tempo thing with Hypo has been figured out at all? Because I just, I don't know enough about X-Nose, but I watch that sometimes like, man, if the first down play doesn't hit or they don't have something where they're catching a guy completely off balance, this feels toothless. But again, it may be the quarterback thing. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it is the quarterback. Uh, Milton has just shown to not be that guy, and he has just not been that guy all season. Um, they have a lot of talent at Tennessee, though, and they, a lot of people call that a Mickey Mouse offense. I just, you know, it is strictly scheme-based, but they have shown with, like, the right athletes and the right quarterback that it's absolutely dynamic. So I'm not giving up on them. I think one of the underrated parts of what Tennessee is doing, and look, it didn't – excuse me, did not show up much against Georgia because that's how damn good that they are. But uh, defensively, Tennessee has like some real dudes. They've been good all year. And again, you're grading on a curve in that last game. Yeah, exactly. And then they've had some weird games like the Missouri. They've had weird games um, for whatever reason. I think a lot of it is like when offense is not running well in that scheme like it doesn't look good because you're going fast and you're getting three and outs and putting yourself in terrible positions look at Missouri and Florida games for them but I mean that freshman edge backer they got that number 27 kid uh is a freak they've got some pretty good dbs they, they are recruiting at a really high level I'm not dead on them by any means it's been kind of a weird year for them uh, it was kind of supposed to be a, an Ole Miss transition year for them, kind of what we thought this year was going to be for Ole Miss. That was definitely what they were expecting there at Tennessee. Uh, so, I'm no, I'm not giving up on them at all. I think we're going to have to see what this Nico kid's up to, see what their portal-wise they look like. Uh, but I'm not dead on them, I I want to save the best for last, so just very quickly. South Carolina gets a home win against Kentucky. A very, very disappointing year for Kentucky where it makes you wonder is like a stoop straws he's reached the ceiling. I don't know why they can't find a quarterback. I don't know why they can't find a competent offense. And what was a hellish year from South Carolina from an injury standpoint, they're at least going to go into a Clemson game at Williams-Brice with a chance to get the bowl eligibility. That's, in a weird way, that was kind of a big win for them because that feels a hell of a lot different than potentially going four and eight. Um, I don't think either of these two programs are exactly on meteoric rises, but uh, a game I watched very little of, that was a gutty one from South Carolina and Kentucky. I just wouldn't trust them to win a road game against anyone. No, not at all. I don't have much to say about this game. I did not watch a lot of it, obviously. Um, the only two things I have that are positive for South Carolina are one, the stadium atmosphere for a it's four great. and seven team playing Kentucky at home looked unbelievable which has always kind of been the case there. And I'll give them a ton of credit for that. I mean, that was like a real environment. And two, going into next year, I, we don't know who South Carolina's quarterback is going to be, but uh, they have like three five-star guys coming in, one on the defensive line, one on the offensive line, I think a wide receiver. Uh, so, I mean, there's at least looking up from that standpoint, you have at least some sort of internal momentum. Uh, so, look, I mean, I, I'm not the biggest Shane Beamer guy. I think we've talked about that, but – I'm not ready to claim them dead by any means, whereas like there's some other programs where I'm willing to compliment or at least consider that scenario. And then Kentucky wise, I have no idea what to think about that, uh, that it's been a pretty down year for them. Um, and really, I mean, with Levis last year, it's been kind of like two in a row where you're like, what's going on here? We've been better than this. You've developed better than this. Uh, maybe it's simply just the quarterback thing, but they it kind of feels like they've hit 
that plateau of like we can win 10 games maybe once now we're kind of hitting the the other end of that curve if that makes any sense agree and then now to the favorite one and we don't have a soccer corner so this will cap off the pod just very very uh tastily new mexico state now nine and three new mexico state defeats auburn 31 to 10 I was going to the Saturday portion of this event. We were sitting at a house beforehand. Someone was like, flip this on. And for the two and a half quarters I watched of this game, my takeaway was, uh, I think New Mexico State's a better football team. And I don't actually know if that's true. But, I mean, hell, I don't think Auburn ever uh, – I know for a fact they never led. Good Lord, what? What? How do you how do you recover from this? I don't even know where to start. What happened? I didn't get to watch a ton of this. I kind of was flipping it on back and forth, just like monitoring the score on my phone. And I mean, I don't know how you come back from this. I was listening to Neil and Chase the uh, this morning, and they were talking about like there's no universe in where Alabama loses by three scores to New Mexico State. And that seems obvious like on the surface, but that really is the case. There is no universe in which – Alabama or Georgia or LSU or even Ole Miss or Tennessee loses by three touchdowns to New Mexico State. I don't care how good they are. And that is what happened. They were completely manhandled, completely manhandled at home against them. And look, the thing is, is that you get one of these from Hugh Freeze every year, every year, bar none, full stop. You get one of these games. We thought it might be the Arkansas game on the road. It was most certainly not. We thought it might have been the Vanderbilt game on the road. It was not. No one thought it was going to be New Mexico State at home, and it was. And that's just what you're going to have to expect as an Auburn fan is that one every year you're going to have one game where he doesn't give a shit about it. It doesn't make any game plans or any adjustments, and you're going to lose. And it's going to be someone you're probably not supposed to, and that's just going to be your tenure with Auburn and Hugh Freeze for the rest that, of time that he is there. Which makes it just like the perfect storyline to follow because you talk about a volatile booster network, a volatile fan base, and then you throw in that turd of a loss every year. Hell, the last two years, it's come against um, it's come against New Mexico State, if I'm not mistaken. Was this yeah. last year? Now, granted, he had already kind of the Auburn thing seemed a little bit yes. out of the bag, but that team wasn't that good. That was a five and six New Mexico State team at the time, and they go to Liberty and they win 49 to 14. And again, it's not just New Mexico State. You mentioned keep going and going back. I believe the year before that, they were 32 point outright favorites at ULM and lost the game outright. Like this is a pattern going all the way back to Ole Miss. And what's crazy to me about the freeze part of this too is like, look, you knew they were going to struggle on offense this year. You're not really going to knock him for not having it right in year one. You kind of get the yeah, years. I can. Year. Yeah. <laughs> well, now to. you can because. Just because you got Peyton Thorne doesn't like, just because that's the way you handled the quarterback situation doesn't mean I'm going to give you a pass for it with the portal. I, I can be, be like, hey, you're supposed to be better than this on offense at least. Yes, but like from a sheer result standpoint, they start three and zero against the all three opponents they were supposed to beat. As ugly as that Cal game was, okay, they lose at A and M. Not great, but not a shocker. LSU, Georgia, of course, whatever. And then they would expect them to beat Ole Miss, but hey, seven point game, even though it didn't feel like it. You beat State. You go to Vanderbilt, wasn't pretty, but you handle it. You blow the brakes off of Arkansas. It's like, do we have something here? And then you lob this in there, and that's what's always fascinating to me is like. I don't know how you come back from a three-score loss, but when this loss happens in November of year two, that's what causes people to make irrational decisions about your job future. It's what's going to make it a very uncomfortable year next year. Um, they're not going to – I mean, look, it's Auburn. It's craziness. They are insane. Their expectations for where they should be and where they are are completely in the clouds. But 
I will still be taking Auburn plus 14 and a half this week because he'll give a shit about this game. Yes. And that's what you've seen every year. I mean, Ole Miss, I'll never forget freshman year. The way that they played AM and Alabama compared to the way they played LSU was like night and day. It was a game that LSU was not that good that year. And I think Hugh Freeze was like, we're going to be fine here. So we're just not going to care that much. And they got their ass kicked. That is just how it's going to be every single year with him. There is going to be these games, whether you're even or a lot better, where he's going to be like, you know, not that worried about this one. We'll kind of just skate through it and move to the next one. But you're never that good. And he's never that good enough to actually go through with that kind of thought process and plan. But guess what? He'll have his guys ready at home against Alabama. But that's because that's what he does every year. He'll he'll this will be this Super Bowl. It's Auburn Super Bowl to begin with. It'll be his to show that he still got it. They'll probably lose the game by 10. I almost will be willing to guarantee it that they will actually cover this game uh, because of what happened last week and the way that he is week by week completely incapable of consistency as a coach. And if it does go well offensively, it would be good to see that he got back more involved in the yes. play calling after a one-week hiatus. So really, it's not his fault. His assistants have to be better. No, I think he said today that it's his job to get his coaches and players ready, and that's his fault. Like, oh, I'm glad we brought the coaches in that one. Like, maybe get yourself ready. <laughs> it's very it's noble for you, you to fall in the sword on behalf also, of his assistants and players while also with anyone with a brain throwing them under a bus after he lost to New Mexico State. Very Yeah, awesome. I mean, it's just unbelievably consistent. On that part is consistency. Field, not so much. He is Walden Rodenberg. I appreciate the time, dude. We'll holler at you after your egg bowl and, uh, you know, probably have more of the same discussion, but it'll be in fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Appreciate your patience on us getting this show out. Got some good Egg Bowl content for you coming this week. Thank you for listening to this podcast as always. We'll talk to you again once more before Thanksgiving, but uh, if you don't tune into that one, hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the game, but uh, we'll be back again on Wednesday.